This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. Hey everybody, it's John Halvey, Senior Editor of Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine. I'm in Pennsylvania, uh, not far from Valley Forge, and sitting across from me at Root Down Brewing is the lead brewer, Steve Bischoff, who last year, 2018, won two medals at GABF, gold for the American IPA category, silver in the Goza category, and then as such was named uh, Midsize Brewery here at Root Down, and then you were named Midsize Brewer. Welcome to the show. Hello, thank you. We're going to talk uh, about all things IPA, Goza, and just beer in general in a minute. But first, let me tell everybody that as the brewing industry's premier choice for glycol chilling, G&D Chillers has set the standard on quality, service, and dedication to their customers' craft. G&D is committed to cold, whether you operate a brew pub or a large-scale production brewery. Contact G&D Chillers today at 1-800-555-0973 or reach out online at gdchillers.com and mention this podcast, the Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine podcast, and receive up to $1,000 worth of glycol with the purchase of any new G&D Chiller. And also, you can turn your fridge into the best craft beer bar around with the Tavor app. Get access to hard-to-find, 100% independent craft beer from 47 states. Only buy the beers you want and skip the ones you don't. Ship any amount of beer, uh, any amount of your hand-picked beer to your doorstep for one flat fee. That's right, any amount. Download the free Tavor app today and get $10 in beer money with the code BREWING. Steve, uh, so right off the bat, I, I, I'm curious because it, three big medals uh, or three big awards at GBF and silver is nothing to, you know, so, so silver as the Simpsons would say, but uh, gold in, in IPA uh, and then uh, uh, mid-sized brewery, mid-sized brewer. What was the first beer that you can credit with getting you on your journey as a lead brewer today and as somebody who has now stood on the stage at the Colorado Convention Center, gotten the fist bump from Charlie? Is there a beer that you can look back on and say, that sort of sparked my interest in, and got me on my path? You mean in general? In craft beer in general? I, I, or beer in okay. general. Okay. I mean, it doesn't have to be craft. Um, it's you know, many years ago, I was always a Yingling Lager drinker and then uh, basically found Victory Brewing Company. Uh, a friend took me over there, uh, had a hop devil, kind of blew my mind. You know, what is this stuff? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, you know, very quickly grew on me and then kind of went from there. You know, got into the dark beers, uh, uh, the hoppy beers. Uh, it took me a little while to get into the, the, the uh, Belgian-style barrel-aged lambics and gooses sure. and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, it took me quite a while to get into that. But, yeah, definitely Victory was a turning point in, in my beer-drinking career. And, uh, life, and I Hop guess Devil, could, too, yeah. Yeah, correct, yeah. That's sort of a big jump, though, of going from... Lager, Yingling Lager, you know, to... Yeah. Yeah, at I mean, first, I wasn't sure if I liked it. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> it was very different. But yeah. it opened up these sort of possibilities to you. Yeah, right. Yep. And then, were you a brewer at this time, or were you... No. What were you thinking absolutely about? Absolutely not. Um, I used to actually want to be a chef. Uh, that's kind of how I got into the whole home brewing uh, 
aspect of things and I've always been sort of a craftsman. I've, I've, that's been instilled into me by, uh, by my father and my mother both as well. Um, always making something, fixing something, creating, getting your hands on it and getting dirty. Um, so, you know, I'm walking through a, a kitchen supply store one, one year and I see the little, I won't n- name the name, but Mr. Beverage kit. And, like a uh, Mr. Beer kit. Yeah. Okay. Right, yeah. Yeah. Like the, I just didn't the, want to use the their plastic name. Thing? No, that's fine. Wait, what are you, wait, wait. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's the product that <laughs> has launched a thousand careers in the industry. Uh, right. Back at the old magazine, uh, we wrote a piece about this of how, you know, this seemingly innocuous piece of plastic, uh, Bed Bath & Beyond, it, like has... It looked like something fun to do yeah. on, on a Saturday. And uh, <laughs> so I asked for it for a Christmas present for my brothers, basically, my, um, my two brothers, and they... Unbeknownst to me, they didn't get me this Mr. Beer kit. They actually went and got me a full five-gallon setup from a real... No crap, you know, really? You know, the plastic buckets and all that stuff. It's still just an entry-level kit, but wow. I was expecting a little Mr. Beer kit, and you know, it'll take me a couple hours or whatever. And I get this big kit, and it was very... Um, Overwhelmed. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean, it took me a long time. If yeah, you're thinking I was about like, well, that's not really what I wanted. You know, that looks like a lot of work. And it kind of sat in my closet for pretty close to a year, which was probably not very good for the hops and the yeast and whatever, but <laughs> it doesn't matter. This is my first batch, you know, so I finally got I'm, around to making it. I'm sure your closet it. was uh, temperature controlled. Oh, uh, yeah, uh, you yeah. know, yeah, ready, ready to yeah, go. Yeah, the humidifier going, yeah. <laughs> um, so I finally got around to pulling it out, collecting the bottles I was going to need, and, 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 I, and I brewed my first batch, and it probably tasted awful. But I was like, oh, my gosh, I just made beer. This is amazing. But what, and that's the epiphany that everybody has, I think, with their first beer. Like, look what I just did, you know. And it's, it's kind of fun, right? And, oh, absolutely, yeah. What prompted you on that day after a year? <laughs> no no, no real just, answer. I just, just kind of, day? okay, yeah, we're just going to do it. Let's do it. Finally get around to doing it and kind of thing. And. Sometimes I often procrastinate and put pro- projects off to the side, and that goes like, you know, this one is a fun project. It's not work, so let's go. Let's go do it. Yeah. And, and I went and did it, and just from there, just took off. And that was probably about 15 years ago. <laughs> so, originally thinking that you were going to be in a kitchen, now you wound up in a brew house, um, and you've worked at other breweries before Root Down. It's only two years old here, but correct. Uh, yeah. And and notably. Uh, Sly Fox. Yeah, I was there for six years. Yeah. Uh, started off in the warehouse, like very bottom level, entry level position um, as a quote unquote brewer's assistant, but I was driving a truck around. Sure. And, you know, humping kegs all day long. I wasn't really doing anything related to brewing. It's more just delivering beer, uh, getting raw materials for the brewers, um, things like that. But after, after a year and a half doing that, I moved up into the cellar. You know, I would do some packaging here and there, help on the can line, help kegs, whatever. Uh, helpful kegs um, but after a year and a half of warehouse guy I moved up into the cellar yeah I kind of skipped being a packaging guy which is typically an entry-level position in any other brewery so I went right to the cellar and I, I was trained there and I ran the cellar for two years and I loved it and I, and I did a good job uh, you know and made some improvements over the, the, pr- the previous cellar man and um, they said hey you know do you want to get into the brew house said, absolutely uh, so working my way into the brew house. So uh, by the time I left, uh, there was four lead brewers there at, at Sly Fox, and um, I had been brewing as a lead brewer, running the forty barrel brew house for two for two years. You know, not being the lead brewer, one of lead brewers. Sure. I want to make that clear. Like there was a team of people. Sure, you know, it wasn't just me. There's I'm, multiple leads. Right, right, right. 
And you could either start at five o'clock in the morning or one o'clock in the afternoon. You're there all hours of the day, the night, whatever, and you do it. And that's that's what you do. And I did that for for years. Yeah. And then uh, and then Mike opened. Mike, I used to work for Mike Hamara at, at the homebrew store mm-hmm. um, in Downingtown. And Mike's the owner here. Mike's at the owner at Root Down. Yes. Yeah. And he approached me and said, "Hey, I'm going to be opening this, this this brewery called Root Down. Do you want to be a part of it?" And I said, "Absolutely. Let's let's do it." And here we are. So. I, I- I want to jump back just really quick, though, because cellar work is one of these unsung hero jobs oh, sure. of brewing company yeah. uh, uh, of breweries, yeah. right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's not sexy. It's not nope. uh, really visible to people in the way that uh, you know the brewing process might be, or you know, here I am in my rubber boots with my mash paddle, you know, doing yeah. making beer. The, the, uh, the, the guy making the, the work, he's like, you know, the rock star. Yeah. And, and the packaging the guy's guys like the bass like, player. Uh, yeah. yeah. And the, 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 the seller guy, no one even knows. Yeah, exactly. He's just yeah. in the background. No one even knows about him. But he's there making everything happen. Um, you learn a lot. It's quite different from just making, you know, just brew beer or just packaging. It's there's a whole different aspect. So, and it's all necessary, obviously, in the, in the whole uh, process. Yeah. Um, when there are folks, I, there's still folks who listen to this podcast, I hope, who are planning on opening up a brewery, though. I mean, what would be your advice as far as working in the cellar? As far as working in the cellar, number one, cleanliness and sanitation. Um, absolutely 100%. I mean, you can't be harvesting yeast in, in a dirty environment, for example. Yeah. Um, and especially a smaller brewery, you don't always have the resources to do the things that the bigger breweries are doing. So you might have to make some compromises. Oh, we have to open the man way to throw yeast in there instead of pitching it cone to cone or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, there's different things you have to be careful of. So number one, you have to be clean. Yeah. Number one, absolutely. And I'm sure most... People are aware of that, but you, I still want to emphasize that. Sure. Yeah. Um, you can't cut corners. You know, very easily mess up not just one batch, but multiple batches by by one one mistake. It sets a bad precedent as well. I think you know if you get away with it once, uh, you know maybe you don't get caught. I I, I I might have said this on the show before, but like Tony Bennett once gave a great quote where he said uh, he still practices singing every day. And he says that if he, if he skips a day, uh, people might not notice. If he skips two days, you know, like the really true people might start to notice. But then by the time you skip three days, and this is obviously, you know, uh, not totally true, but if you skip three days, everybody's going to notice. Yes, you can't rest thing. on your laurels and get lazy. Right? Exactly. Yeah, right. and, that's, and that's sort of the thing is that right. the breweries that I think continue to do well, you know, have, you know, dedicated folks in the cellar who are, Staying true to it. You sure. Know, it's, Attention to detail. Yeah. Um, yeah. Stick, stick to your process. Stick to your SOPs. Yeah. Um, there's a reason they, they've been developed. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, I, I mean, for me and all the breweries that I've visited, like, you know, I pay attention to the cleanliness level. And there's certain, you know, places where, you know, like Sierra Nevada or New Glarus or even Cape Cod Beer, some of these other places, you could drop a fried egg on the floor and you can pick it up and eat it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and just, then there's other places where it's just like before you can even reach down and pick it up, you know, the roaches have gotten it. So yeah. it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know, don't I, be that place. I actually had that conversation last week. Um, we were delivering, we were shipping kegs to a, our wholesaler, and the truck driver sat down on the on the ledge in the, uh, the the wall in the cellar, and he's like, "Oh wow, this this floor is dirty." He's just kind of busting my chops, and I said, "Are you kidding me? I will eat off that floor. <laughs> I know how clean that floor is, and, yeah. I, and I wasn't kidding. Like, I will literally just eat right off of that floor." That's a good. I mean, that's a. 
every brewer should probably uh, you know strive to that. And uh, you know, at yeah. some point, I imagine that there's going to be a beer dinner where people just eat off of the floor. <laughs> uh, it sounds like a dogfish that's head the, thing. That's the new thing. Uh, that's yeah. the new trend. Yeah. Sam's leading <laughs> brewery floor uh, uh, meals. Um, Sam, if you do that, just let me know so I can be busy that night. Um, so I'm always curious, though. Brewers, unless like you have a stake in the place, I think are nomadic by nature or always looking, not always looking, but like open to the possibility of new ventures and new opportunities because of what it can bring, uh, I guess, both personally and professionally, a, a level of satisfaction. And mm -hmm. so Sly Fox, a great brewery and mm -hmm. uh, been around for 25 years, 30 years at this point, right? I mean, it's... Uh, it's, it's opened a, in 95, I think Yeah, it was, uh, so, I mean, just a staple of uh, this region. You sure. Know, I grew up in Jersey, you know, I've, I've known them forever, and, you know, I, I enjoy the beers that they make, and around here, at least, uh, it, it's it's a well-known brand, and I'm sure if you say yeah. to people, like, oh, I worked at Sly Fox, like, people... Oh, would, yeah, we know Sly Fox. Yeah, you know. There's always cool, really cool events that they do as well, so... Yeah, well, the goat races, the Maybach, yep, and everything else that they do. There's always something going yeah. on out there, yep. Um, what was the appeal to join a startup? Uh, so, as great as a brewery as Sly Fox is, and I always said they had a really broad portfolio and they did everything really, really well to style, true to style, um, there wasn't a whole lot of personal input from, from me or yeah. from the other brewers. I mean, occasionally you get a little bit of freedom here and there. Uh, like I also ran the 15-barrel brew pub in Kimberton, um, so I got to do like my alt-beer recipe there once, and that was a lot of fun. But I wanted more of that. Um, so when I was approached by Mike, it was kind of like, dude, you can come do your own thing all the time. And he's like, that's, that's like having my own, you know, gigantic homebrew kit. You know, it's, and I, for back to homebrew, lots, lots of people say, well, you know, do you homebrew now? Like, no, why should I? I yeah. These are all my recipes now, you know. So when I was working at Sly Fox, um, yeah, it's not like being a chef where you're still going to cook at home. You know, you're still going to make an egg at home kind of thing. Like you're not going to fire up the kettle on Saturday morning. It's, it's, for right, five it's gallons not as of, yeah exciting anymore. <laughs> I mean, it is still exciting to, to brew a beer every day, but I'm like, yeah, you know, when I go home, I want to do something else. You know, um, and you have this great binder uh, that you brought out with you of all of your old homebrew recipes, and I mean, there's there's like hundred pages in there's there. There's a whole other binder yeah. at home too. <laughs> That's the second binder. <laughs> um, but it's, notes. It's, Take it's, notes. But it's that creative passion of, you know... You Looking get to, for something new. You remember making the alt once uh, because it stands out in your mind, but there has to... Yeah, it, there, there's that desire to... You want your input. You want to create. Like I said at the beginning, you know, I've always been a craftsman. My parents have instilled that in me. I want to create. I want to do something. If I'm just sitting around doing nothing, I get stagnant and bored, and I start getting stir-crazy. You know, I need to do something new yeah um or improve what i've been doing you know there, you can't just hit that plateau and cruise no so you, you got to be doing something new all the time for me for me <laughs> for my own sanity <laughs> all right well i want to start talking about beers in just a second but first let me just tell everybody out there that clarion lubricants uh where balancing barley and hops is your expertise food grade lubricants is theirs the team at Clarion knows when it comes to making great beer, you're the expert, and when it comes to supplying food-grade lubricants backed by service-oriented professionals, they're the experts. Clarion will work with you to create an efficient lubrication program that helps protect your brewery. 
To speak with an expert, dial 1-855-MY-CLARION. That's 1-855-692-5274. Or visit clarionlubricants.com. Clarion Lubricants, the experts that experts trust. And also, SCA Fabricating is the craft industry's leading choice for packaging line automation. Specializing in depalletizing, repalletizing, conveyance, rinsing, drying, fill detection, and date coating, SCAFAB has over 600 installations in breweries, wineries, and distilleries worldwide. With a reliable team of engineers dedicated to fast, reliable customer service, you can count on them to provide systems custom-tailored for your specific needs. Contact SCAFAB today at area code 970-403-8562 or reach out online at scafabricating.com. Dot com. Once upon a time, Steve Bishop, lead brewer here at Root Down Brewing Company in Phoenixville, Pennsylvania. Uh, the American IPA category at GABF was like the gold standard of the GABF medals. You know, out of the 70, 80, however many medals uh, people would, would, would pass out, the BA would pass out every year in, in, in Denver. Uh, everybody sort of stood in line and waited uh, with bated breath for for the, uh, for, for, for the American IPA, and it Correct. was always the you know the best picture uh, uh, at, at the Oscars kind of thing. Yeah. Last year, 2018, uh, they added the hazy, juicy, juicy and or hazy, yeah, IPA, kind of thing, juicy right. and or hazy double IPA, juicy and or hazy pale ale. <laughs> And those that category is now the biggest category. And and like, last year was like, the first, first time. year out of the gate, and yeah. and so suddenly like American IPA sort of became this quaint little relic. It's, uh, it's the redheaded stepchild, you know, <laughs> <laughs> almost. Which is weird. and so that's you. Last year, yeah. uh, you won it for yeah. buying yeah. uh, this beer that I have in front of me. Delicious and looking beer. Look at that. God, it is. It, it's, it's, it's clear. clear. I can actually as it's I'm holding it up to the window, I can oh my see. Gosh. The traffic outside <laughs> through the beer uh, as well. It's this wonderful, uh, bright golden, uh, fantastic lacing on the glass. A little, uh, you know, nice little foamy head uh, on this as well. Um, I mean, one, congratulations. Well, thank you. Thank you. Two, did you guys enter into the Hazy Juicy category? No. Okay. Um, so we entered four beers last year. Um, the IPA, the Bion IPA, um, the... Salty by Nature Goza. Uh, we entered the, the, the Pilsner, our, our Pilsner, into the category, um, but that didn't do so well. <laughs> and then uh, also our Hellas, our Low Bridge Lager, um, which I believe we're going to re-enter all those again this year. Okay. And we can we, now that we can do a fifth this year as well. So we'll probably do something hazy as well. Um, but to, to me, the IPA is like the only one that really mattered. <laughs> You know, it's always been my favorite style, IPAs, yeah. American IPAs. Um, well, if you came up on Hop Devil. Right, right. Uh, even Hop Devil, like, as, a, as my drinking progressed over the years, I kind of got away from that because it was a little too much on the caramel malty side for yeah. me. Um, that was kind of Going back what into I was right, working that sort of like British, almost like Sierra yeah, yeah. Pale kind of, yeah. yeah. It's more of an East Coast style um, or an English style, yeah. Um, yeah. East Coast like Harpoon, you mean, like... Uh, Right, early East Coast. Right. Um, So if you look through my 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 homebrew binder over there, most of the beers are IPAs, and they're they're always trying to get lighter and like cleaner um, instead of that heavy. I don't I don't know how to describe, but you lose the drinkability in Mm -hmm. in an IPA if it gets to be too much of any one character, too much hops, too much malt, too much sweetness, too much alcohol. 
So to me, I wanted to make like a quote unquote sessionable IPA without being a session IPA. Yeah. That's the kind of thing I've always worked on um, in, at home as a home brewer. Um, and then once we opened up Root down here, I had some the opportunities to do it on a big scale, you know, and, and work on my, my IPA recipe. But I already had a pretty good head start from my home brewing. Uh, so I kind of knew where I wanted to go. There's no crystal, uh, no crystal malt in the, in the recipe. Uh, I do use dextrose to help thin it out. Um, and I concentrate a lot on how I use my hops and where I use my hops. I don't just overload them and keep saying more is better. You know, I use... No, so talk to me about that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I do a small bittering addition because you want to have some hops in the boil uh, in, in the beginning. Um, but I don't want to develop all my bitterness at that point. So I kind of work backwards. I'll, I'll, I'll figure out my aroma additions and then how much more IBUs do I need at make that up in the bittering edition. I'm sure a lot of people do the same thing, yeah. obviously. But, uh, you know, the varieties that you use make a difference too. Um, like I didn't really like certain varieties boiled as long. Um, I would get a different character that I didn't like. So they, was, they would be reserved for, you know, zero minute or whirlpool editions, uh, played around with different timings, like 10, 5, zero minute editions. I kind of settled in at seven. I like seven. It was just a random number and it works for me. That's what I like. Um, so yeah, it would just overload at the end, but still achieve my bitterness. It's still assertively bitter, and yeah. but it's a, a clean bitterness as well. Uh, it's not an overly resinous, uh, not overly grassy um, character. What are the hops that are in this? In the bind? Yeah. Um, so we use Warrior for bittering. It's a very clean bittering hop. Um, and there's Centennial, there's Simcoe. No, sorry. There was originally there was Simcoe. That got pulled out. We put a mosaic instead. Uh, so Centennial, Mosaic, Amarillo, and Citra. That's so you're using two of the, the modern hops that are typically associated with the New England style these days as well. The Citra and the Mosaic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, but that goes a long way. I mean, and it also sort of speaks to consumer preferences as well. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're great hops. I, I, I love the aroma that you get out of them. Uh, I'm not a huge guy fan of the hazy styles because they're a little on the sweeter side uh, but I always love smelling them they always have a, a fantastic aroma in my opinion um, the Camarillo adds a lot to this yeah it's just in the whirlpool and the dry hop um, that's one of the hops I don't like to boil so, so talk to me about that like when you're doing your trial and error versus the boil and whirlpool um, what was showing up you know, in the case of Amarillo that that was something I learned more on, on the homebrewing side. Okay. Um, just for my, you know, all my notes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that's why you take notes. Uh, so you can look back. What did I do that I didn't like? What did I do that I did like? Um, but yeah, we, 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 we originally, the original batch, the first couple batches had Amarillo in it and Simcoe, like I was saying. And then there was a slight progression. It was pretty much the same timing of everything. It was just different varieties I was playing around with. Mm -hmm. uh, same overall bittering. Um, and then we settled in that. Like, yeah, we really like that little bit of that grapefruity orange character that comes from Amarillo. It's a little piney, too. Yeah. Uh, and it's a pretty distinctive hop. And we don't use a whole lot of it in there. Um, it's, it's mostly citra and mosaic. And centennial is even kind of a background note to me. Yeah. But it's, it's centennial is like a very clean hop profile to build upon. It can certainly do well all on its own, but I think it plays well with others. Yeah. And I mean, and, as most and I hops think, do. I think the layering is important, though. When oh, it sure. comes to some yeah. of these things as well, because like, right off the bat, and I have a pint of it in front of me right now, is 
uh, what's left of a pint in front of me, but it's, um, I was getting Citra Mosaic, but it took me three or four sips in to really figure out like that that's also what I was tasting because it was so layered as opposed to some of the hazy juicy or some of the other ones that use it where it's just, it's a blunt instrument. And, you know, those are two very assertive hops, uh, especially Mosaic, um, this just doesn't have that. Like it, it reveals itself over time. It's it's, you know, to mix bad metaphors. You know, it's uh, it's the peeling of an onion kind of thing. Okay. It's many layers. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's one of those things that I I think is probably stood out for the judges as well. Of this is a beer that it's not showing its hand at the first sip. Like you have to have a couple of. A, at least a good couple of ounces of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Were there judges' notes on that? Because uh, I don't know how many people know about the JABF judging, but you get notes back uh, from the judges, at least first round. So the, the, the notes actually weren't that impressive, <laughs> 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 quite honestly. Sure. Um, if you, if you, and it's probably because you know, there, there was 311 entries yeah. in the in American IPA category this year. It's mostly How notes many, on round one. I've been yeah, a judge in the past, like, and the and the rule is don't die on the hill. It's you, yeah, you got to bang them out as fast going. as you can. Yeah, uh, and you can't save all. You know, not every IPA can be amazing. Yeah, but one of them needs to be the winner. You know, and I'm sure there's a lot of them were pretty damn close. And you know, it's probably really hard categories to, to judge. Um, but the the, the 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 notes were like, oh, yeah, it's okay. You know. And I actually got better feedback, like more impressive notes on my Goza, the silver. And I was like, well, I, w- I want to see what the gold silver was, <laughs> or the gold Goza was. If, if, Do you if, know who won if, that year? I don't recall. Okay. I don't recall. Um, if I had done my research, I would have had that for you, but uh, I, I probably don't have should that know. encyclopedic <laughs> knowledge. So it's, uh, um, but but you, if you read the, the Goza notes, you're like, wow, this is a fantastic beer. You know, I, I want another one. Uh, and they read the IPA notes, and it was like, yeah, you know, it's, it's a decent IPA. <laughs> but that one gold. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of weird. Um, I want to talk about goes in just a second, but let's just finish out, you know, gold metal IPA. Uh, what yeast are you using? Uh, Chico. Yeah, USO5. We use dry yeah. yeast. You know, uh, I was very opposed to it in the beginning, but it, you know what? It works, and it works well. And I, I used it a lot when I was home brewing, so there's no reason why we can't use it on this bigger scale. Um, yeah, dry yeast works. <laughs> um, and then as far as, uh, are you doing anything, is this just city water that you're doing? Are you treating it in any way, shape, or form? Uh, I use gypsum for my American IPA. Okay. Um, we do other salt additions for other beers. Um, but yeah, we don't really mess with the water too much it's a good we have a good water source you know why why mess with it if you don't need to i i, I can make a great pilsner with this with this this water so that's a, a testament how good this water is you don't need to play with it you know it's good to go just we just filter it. we run it through our carbon filter all right, so let's talk about goes then so 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 silver as the simpsons would say uh, <laughs> better than shameful bronze um as it were, it, it, it's such a fun style that I think is so misunderstood still these days. Uh, Fal Allen, who wrote a great book about Goza, uh, was on the show, I think, during GABF last year. Okay. Uh, so like, right before you won, uh, he and I sat down to, to talk about his book and uh, you know what he had learned uh, about that style over time. 
what stands out to you as a metal winning brewer in in that? Um, well, the reason I like the, the salty by nature as an example of the goza, it's it's, it's well balanced, mm-hmm. it's drinkable, uh, it's not overly salty, it's not overly tart. I think it's just kind of a well crafted beer, honestly. Um, and apparently, other people agreed. <laughs> Uh, but there are plenty of examples out there that are just so tart, you can only have one. Or they're so salty that it doesn't really taste like beer anymore. You know, yeah, it's not salt water. Like, you don't right. want... Cause, it, it, and I think that's what people think of the first time that they... At the, and, that's yeah. a big misconception, too. I think, is you know, Goza isn't intentionally salty. The town it originated in had salty water. Mm-hmm. So if we're trying to recreate their beer, we need to add salt. Yeah. They're not... In Leipzig, they're not putting salt into their beer to do this. You know, it just that's their water. Yeah. Uh, it's Although I have been to parts of the country where there are salt shakers on the bar where people will add salt to. Interesting. Like, yeah, the <laughs> northern Dakotas and uh, yeah, it's it's sort of a weird old mining thing apparently. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> as it were, but yeah. So so where do you find the balance then? Uh, on your on your palate, you know. Um, Okay, but when you're, you're the when one you're who's making it. the beer and then putting it out there, so it's your palate that then dictates what people are going to taste. So what do you look for then? Like, where's the balance for you? I'm not sure. Okay. <laughs> I mean, is it, is it like is it like pornography? Like you know it when you see it, kind of thing, or is it? I, I, okay. <laughs> Interesting reference. Uh, yeah, I mean. It's an old saying. It's, uh, I'm not making that up right now. It's you know. Uh, but yeah, uh, um, yeah, exactly. You know when you see, it, you, you know, like wow, this is a really good beer. I didn't think I was going to like it at first. It was actually Mike's Mike's recipe. Okay. And we started brewing it, and um, you know, we had to dial back the salt. You know, our, our first version wasn't exactly where we wanted. What kind it. of salt you did you guys use? Reason sea salt. Nothing okay. fancy. Just plain sea salt. Yeah. That's what Sal was talking about as well. Like, you don't have to pink Himalayan, all this other, you know, Florida salt. You're not going to taste the difference. I mean, the difference will be subtle between pink salt and white salt, you know. But uh, I'm sure there's people out there that swear by their pink salt, and that's fine. But uh, it gets gets to be more gimmicky than anything else, if you ask me. Well, uh, the gold medal winner last year was two of tarts from Upland Brewing Company out in Bloomington, Indiana. Okay. So um, I don't know what kind of salt they used or, 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 or what they did or what. But that yeah. Apparently it was better salt. <laughs> <laughs> so those are two relatively classic styles that um, you've meddled for. I mean, Goza is... is in vogue right now, but is is sort of a you know it's it's very popular. Yeah, yeah, it's very popular right now. And, um, you know, different things. And then, but you, but then you also entered a pilsner, and then you also entered a hellas, and that to me sort of speaks to you're trying to brew more traditional beers than than what's in vogue right now. Sure. Yeah, I, 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 I'm really proud of the the large beer list that we have. We know there's a lot of variety on it. Um, yeah, there's you know, one. Like, there's a dozen, dozen or so taps that I'm looking at right now. Yeah, we have barrel aged sours. We have stouts. I don't think we have any stout on right now, actually. But uh, you know, we're all over the place. We, we do we a couple different lagers, diff, you know, filtered, unfiltered, IPAs, pale ales, Kolsch. We do we do an alt beer. Like I was saying, talking about earlier, we do our alt beer. 
Is I brought, that the, I brought it, my recipe. Okay. Yeah, yeah. it's still, still pretty close to the same recipe. Um, you know, subtle differences. Enough, enough to get you out of that non-compete. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> it's, it's more of what, what we could actually get our hands on. <laughs> um, Different hops. And I don't know if we've talked about alt beer before. We've talked a ton about lagers and everything else. But, like, what, what, what do you love about an alt? I, I like the biggest thing that I like about the, an alt, aside from drinking it, is that <laughs> it's not really popular. No one else does it. Yeah. So, so everybody comes in, they say, what it. is yeah. an alt beer? And then you have to explain it to them. Or you get the opportunity to explain it to them. And a customer now learns about a new style of beer that they yeah. may have, not, have never known or never knew they were going to like it. Um, isn't isn't Rogue Dead Guy? Is that an alt? I want to say I that do it not is. Know. That's, uh, that's I'm going to get so many angry letters to <laughs> John Hall at beerandbrewing.com. Um, no, I think it is. It was like one of those things where people don't necessarily think of it as as that because it's like so ubiquitous. But like, sure. Yeah. But yeah, but you know, there aren't a whole lot of alt beers out no, there either, no. too. So you, and when was the last time you had a well, dead guy? Well, that's so definitely like, not an alt beer because, what? no, I mean, yeah, <laughs> how who, do you, how do you really know? Yeah. There's right. one guy sitting at a bar in Portland right now who, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I, I like the, the alt beer because it's like an opportunity to expand somebody else's drinking horizons. So how do you sell that? How do you, when I walk in and I'm a, I'm a haze bro or, you know, all I want is, uh, if I'm me, uh, and I am, uh, a Pilsner or a lager when you have it on, how do you sell me on an alt? Um, so it's, it's malty. Uh-huh. Uh, a lot of people that come in, they don't, they say they don't like hoppy beers. I'm like, well, I got the perfect beer for you. You know, it's, um, Ours was called three three legged rabbit um, because it's not very hoppy. Uh-huh. <laughs> Thank, thanks, mom, for naming that. <laughs> did your mom name that beer? Yeah, she did. Uh, all right. I, I, I didn't think the uh, I didn't think Mike was going to like it, but he loved it. <laughs> so the name it's, stuck. It's actually a pretty good name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. And and you take it to beer events, and it's kind of fun. People go, "What what is this three legged rabbit?" And you, and you explain it to them, and either their eyes glaze over, and you know they just walk away, or they stand there and crack it up yeah. because they're actually thinking about what you just said. Yeah. <laughs> so, but but yeah, it's a, it's a different style. Oftentimes, people say they don't really like beer. You mm-hmm. know, there's a couple different styles that I always go refer people to when they oh I don't really like beer I like wine. Okay, well have you had to try like a goza? Have you tried uh, an all beer? Have you tried a saison? Have you tried a stout? You know, there's different. Think people think of beer as like Miller Lite. Sure. Oh, I hate that. Well, I'm sure you do because it tastes. Yeah, it's not very good. <laughs> There's nothing exciting hops. in it, you know. Miller Lite uses three hops. It's three cool. ho- three hop cones. Yeah, <laughs> triple hop fruit. Um, so you sell it that way though, and then and then people kind of come through and, and go for it. Yeah, and most people have a pint and they like it, and but they're going to go back to their hazy stuff or whatever. Yeah. Um, but some people get it and they don't drink anything else and they're sad when it's gone. Yeah. And, they, and they ask me all year long, when's that coming back? When's that coming back? And, you know, it's you not a, it's not a huge do. seller. So we try and do it in the, in the fall. And I get yeah. the other thing is I get a huge yield out of it because it's not very hoppy. So that there's not a lot of loss yeah. um, in the brew house side. So I have a whole bunch of kegs that I'm sitting on for a while. <laughs> so it does last a while. Sure. Um, which is good sometimes. Um, but yeah, it, we t- it tends to be a fall beer, a seasonal release. Um, but yeah, and people people do get excited when it comes back, but not enough people. <laughs> so on those two beers, uh, because of those two beers, uh, silver for goes um, uh, and uh, uh, gold for uh, Divine American IPA, you guys were named Mid-Sized Brewery of the Year, and then you 
got the title of mid-sized brewer. And there's there's a technical term uh, when I when I when I read that to you right before we started recording. And and, and what is it officially for? It's uh, the mid-sized brew pub brewmaster of the year. Okay. Yeah. And it's based on points, honestly. It's uh so we got. I forget exactly what the numbers are, but you get a certain amount of points for the gold and a certain amount of points for the silver. And then in your your production size, so we're up to fifteen hundred barrels a year. Okay, uh, we were like right at fifteen hundred barrels. That's pretty um, impressive. That was the, the size. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When we pretty much opened up with that production level, and we haven't slowed or grown a whole lot either. You know, okay. we're doing two two or three brews a week, usually two, um, and it hasn't strayed very much. Okay. Um, even with distribution and yeah. opening a second location now, we're still brewing about the same right now. But when you but, read that uh, mid-sized brewer, the description, and uh, brewmaster uh, is part of that, yeah. uh, you immediately were like, but I'm the lead brewer here. Like, you, yeah, you, I call you, myself you, a lead brewer, a head brewer. I, yeah, I, I mean, I, you downplayed it like so fast instantly. that like, I didn't have a chance to even... <laughs> Uh, even even question on it, but then but then I challenged you a little bit on this of the term and the word brewmaster. Yes. Why don't you call yourself that? Well, number one, I haven't had any formal education. I haven't gone to any brewing schools. Everything's been learned either through home brewing or from working on big equipment at, at, at Sly Fox. Um, but, but if you call yourself a master, it kind of says like. I know everything, and there's nothing else to learn. And I'm I'm learning stuff every day. Um, often surprised by what I learned but you're still learning yeah um, so it's, it's it's basically keeping my head from blowing up and say I'm the I'm the master and you know no I'm not you know I'm just some guy making beer that's yeah. that's that's all I am I just happened to make a really good beer last year I mean I hope I hope I make it every day <laughs> but but uh yeah I'm not a master the yeah. word gets thrown around a lot sure yeah yeah um people it's uh, to me it's about ego uh, machismo um, I'm the master look what I did like well that's great do, do it again repeat it and has, is it going to taste the same next month you yeah. know then you're getting closer to being a master you know a lot of people they call themselves a brew master but they've never brewed that same beer twice yeah. ever ever and there's a lot of these little guys are doing that and that's fine if that's your model but uh, you're not really a master you're just assembling ingredients at that point. And that's sort of the thing when it comes to, you know, going back to your, your, your part on being a chef, right? There's a difference between being, you know, a Michelin star chef or a master chef uh, versus, you know, a cook, right. as it were, or somebody right. who just, you know, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's someone who's a chef has been in the industry for years and they've probably had formal training and they've been around. And they're and creating they, and, they, and they're growing and they're, yeah. Right. And they're not just, oh, I'm just making the same ham sandwich every day or whatever. You know, they're, they're doing something different. What are you still excited to learn? Anything. I, I, I'm always interested in something. Um, so, like, recently I'm getting into making sourdough bread, for example. Like, okay. And that's a lot of fun. You know, I'm tr- trying to learn how to make the best bread. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing to do with brewing, really, uh, but it's along the same lines. You have yeast and you have grains. Um, you're creating something that provides happiness and sustenance to people. Yeah. Um, so I like that. But, uh, yeah, so there's always something... Something going on uh, as far as the brewing industry. What I like to learn, um, you know, there's always new techniques that are coming out. Um, especially with this, you know, in recent history, the whole haze craze. Everybody's trying, trying to make haze on purpose. And mm-hmm. so it's always, you know, you talk to another brewer. Well, what do you do to to, to try and make this? Because a lot of the brewers I talk to are having a lot of troubles 
keeping their beer hazy because for years and years and years we've tried to we've strived for the exact opposite yeah and now all of a sudden no do you know take everything you know and throw it out the window and do all these bad brewing practices essentially and so you like to compare notes yeah you know what 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 messed up thing are you doing (laughs) and and it's it's kind of refreshing when you when you talk to other brewers and not one of them like the serious brewers likes the style yeah like it's just well we do it because we have to and I'm like, well, all right. You know, do we really have to, though? <laughs> Anymore? I mean, <laughs> but I mean, the ones who are doing it right, I think, are the ones who, you know, have figured out some new world processes. Uh, you know, where you're getting, you know, a lot of what's desirable about those styles. You know, people talk about, uh, you know, Trillium, for example. You know, I mean, they, they centrifuge everything. Like, it's not, you know, like their, their cans aren't going to blow up on you, right. you know, likely. You know, right. like they, they've. You can still you do have it, the aesthetic, right. but you don't necessarily have the the risk, you know right. that that comes with it. And I, th- I guess the smaller you are, the harder that 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 certainly is. Well, I think the larger you are, the harder it is to make to make these batches because well, they, they need a quick turnaround. They can't sure. sit in you can't sit in a cold box for months. You know, well, to make the I, I, the smaller you are, the harder it is to make them like shelf stable and to make them. Oh yeah, you sure. Know, you don't like, have the resources, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, all right. In a minute, I'm going to ask you uh, what you have learned professionally that you wish you could have told your young homebrewer self. Uh, but first I want to thank our sponsors that made this episode possible. First there's G&D Chillers, which has set the standard on quality service and dedication to their customers' craft. You can download the free Tavora app today and get $10 in beer money with the code BREWING. Ska Fabricating is the craft industry's leading choice for packaging line automation and Clarion Lubricants the expert that experts trust. Thanks to all of them for helping us uh, stay on the air. Steve Bischoff, lead brewer here at Root Down Brewing Company in Phoenixville, Phoenixville, Pennsylvania, which, by the way, I didn't even get to ch- uh, talk to you about Phoenixville, but like, not only Sly Fox, but there's like like six other breweries. Yeah, it's uh, in, a lot of fun. It's a fun here. town to come visit, yeah. yeah. Um, so there's Iron Hill, who's got pl- locations all over the place, sure. you know, a couple states. Um, and I'm moving from one in the town to the other. So Iron Hill, Root Down, Crowded Castle, uh, Steel City Coffee House has now has a brewery as well. It's a small one barrel. Okay. Um, and then we have Stable Twelve at the other end of town, and then Rebel Hill, which is kind of not in town, but it's not far away either. Okay. Kind of over by the Sly Fox Pub. Um, Greg from Rebel Hill, great guy. He opened up about a year year or so ago. Um, so there's yeah quite a few of us and there's also the bluebird distillery okay um so it's a fun a fun town to be in if you like to drink hopefully enough <laughs> hotels to uh to, to manage it but seriously yeah i haven't been here in years and uh as i was looking at the map i was like holy holy crap yeah what do you wish you knew back then that you know now if you could uh if you could go back and talk to you know talk to your young home brewer self what would you tell them that's a that's a tough one uh <laughs> I gave you like three minutes to prepare yeah. for this. Yeah, I know. Well, I was thanking our sponsors. <laughs> this isn't um, like a surprise question. This wasn't a pop quiz. Like you had a minute to well, think I, about I this. always just kind of sat in the back porch and, and did my own thing and brewed beer. Yeah. Well, now I'm finding out that the ladies actually really like brewers. Okay. You know, so for many years, I was like, whatever. <laughs> Didn't really push that fact. But uh, now I'm finding out that, yeah. Okay. There's a lot of ladies out there that like the, like the brewers, and they actually start drinking beer now. 
about the only thing I can think of. <laughs> well, there it is. Uh, Steve Bischoff, lead brewer. Uh, the 2018, your 2018 midsize brewer at the Midsize Brewery of the Year, winning for both uh, Silver in Salty by Nature, a Goza, and the Bine American IPA. Thanks for sitting down and, and, and talking with Absolutely. us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's nice to be back with you all after a couple weeks off, and uh, I am uh, eager to hear from you. You can reach out to me at uh, John Hall, it's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L at beerandbrewing.com. You can follow the conversation on Twitter at John underscore Hall. You should also go to beerandbrewing.com. There you can subscribe to the magazine, both Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine and also our Brewing Industry Guide for all of you pros out there who are curious about what other folks are doing uh, to make the best beer possible and give the consumers the best possible experience. That's the brewingindustryguide.com as well. And we'll be back next week with a brand new episode. And Steve, thanks again. Thanks for having Thank me here you. at Root Town. Thank you. Cheers, guys. This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew.